Welcome back to the sidebar, uh, a book club for Chuds. I'm David, and I'm joined by. I'm Gabe. Hi. I'm Capitalissimo. You can call me Cap because you're not going to say the whole thing. All right, and today we're all we're all gathered back to discuss the 2019 short story collection, The Last Free Man, written by Lewis Wollstone, published by Truth Serum Press. And what do we know about this Wollstone guy? Yeah, so the the, the background of Lewis Wollstone is as it's presented um, in the notes is obviously completely fictionalized because he says that he's from the setting of these short stories, which is a place called Australia, which is of course a reference to Austria, maybe Australasia, but it seems to be some sort of vast featureless desert with nothing but truck stops and truckers and occasional uh, areas of scrub and brush. It's completely uh, absent of hope and absolutely lacks any sort of urban features. It's uh, All the urban areas seem to be uh, in a nether space from the perspective of this setting where they're, they're sort of not defined well, and everyone seems to be fleeing them for, quote-unquote, the bush. And we never see the bush, so it makes me think it's sort of referring to a region. Um, I don't know if he develops this setting in his other book, because this is his debut, but... Um, you know, this is Australia as it's presented by Lewis. Yeah, Wilson. I think he ripped off Dune in the setting, to be honest. I think he might have. You know, I mean, there's definitely some Frank Herbert vibes in the setting, but there's not a you know an overarching uh, religious theme when there's certainly no themes of imperialism in this. It's more of a, a down-to-earth, scrappy day-to-day sort of story. Yeah, having the gay best friend being hooked on spice was a little bit on the nose. True. Yeah, very Sanderson-esque imaginary animals as well. I'm sure there's a whole wiki for these uh, kangaroos and such. But, but seriously, we, we've all read the book now from um, cover to cover. It's a series of 19 short stories with no direct connection between all of them, just broadly on the subject of being a wanderer, being an outsider, and specifically taking place in Australia. Um, a lot of it centering on the, the roadhouses, which are sort of these combination gas station, uh, repair shop, and like your only source of supplies for a hundred miles in any direction when you're way out in the, in the deeps of the bush. And, um, a lot of it specifically taking place in the Nullarbor region, which I'm actually, I don't know Australian geography well at all. Oh, it's, uh, it's South. Uh, I looked up, uh, I have a map right here. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, so down, so down uh, close to the pole and, um, yeah. And, and I have a lot of thoughts about the book, uh, overall, I very much enjoyed it. I have, I have, a. I guess some more complicated critic made some criticisms and some things I really want to call out that I enjoyed, but what were your guys, I guess, high level impressions of it? I read this over a span, like in spurts, basically I was on a trip when I read this. And for me, it's very much a vibe based book rather than a detail based book. You get a sense of Australian culture or it's very much a heavy, heavily, romantic romantic tm version of australia or like a romanticist view of australia rather than because that is my only exposure to australia other than fucking bluey and like walden so it was very interesting in that sense for me 
it's very much a sentimental overview of his life. And in a way, like a like a folk history of Australia, and like a like a snapshot of basically his background, his culture, and his kind of fantasy of like well, kind of being free. You know, it's all the whole the reason why it's called the last free man. The whole story is all about exits, right? You you have everyone hugging the coasts of Australia, and you have the inward bush, right? I'll get into detail as we go on, but overall, I say it's very much a fantastical self-volkish history of himself really yeah i'd say it's um kind of a uh it's it's a little subaltern in the sense that everyone who is in these stories is according according to the author a loser uh because it's all people who have basically washed out of polite society and through you know either temperament or drug abuse or what have you have just decided that they the best way to move forward for them is to basically remove themselves and have this sort of wandering kind of um very transient lifestyle in these roadhouses yeah he even uses the term fellowship of exiles i think in the second or third story fellowship of outsiders something like that yeah even in reference to an animal uh the, the last Medora Brumby. So I'd read this book a while ago. I, I was playing to read like one or two stories and I'm reading about half of it <clears throat> just to refresh myself. And um, yeah, the, um, the, the, the quote unquote last free man himself refers to, you know, like, like a kinship with the horse, uh, <laughs> the last, the last dying horse of the, uh, the Brumbies, Australian Brumbies. Yeah, and I, I had a similar reaction to you guys. Like it's, I have never read, I, I don't think I've ever read anything uh, set in Australia, actually, funny enough, fiction, in f- fiction, which, um, which of course is, is odd. Which of course, because Australia is entirely fictional, anything you would have uh, read set in Australia would be fiction. Yeah, yeah this is not. I haven't read any of the extended uh, Wollstone verse. You know, yeah, but but overall, I guess the flow of the stories. Um, well, actually, I guess let's do let's do a, a spoiler a spoiler free wrap up here. Is there anything I guess you would guess would tell someone that maybe pop this video open, they've heard of The Last Free Man, debating, checking it out. Is it is it a uniform uh, recommend, any qualifiers you'd give? And then we'll, I guess we'll give people a chance to bow out if they're just checking out, they click this to to learn about that. The most succinct way I'd put it is you meet this guy you talk to for like three times before, you're at a party. He, he somehow takes out a CD, apparently still has CDs. He plays, like, The Cure, you know, and he starts rambling about his life and how important it is to him. And you can barely, barely hear the song in the background. But he's very intentionally talking about it, but he can barely remember himself. But you, you can feel he himself is experiencing deep emotional reverence to this nostalgic period of his time in his life. And you can feel, like, the emotion, the intentional romanticism of it, but it's only little whispers and embers. It's not an actually in-depth experience instead of kissing the moment you're only trailing your fingers on it so in that sense i think it's basically kind of you if you relate to him you will love it but if you want anything more in-depth or technical it's um it's not that much of in your course to say it nicely i would probably just tell someone that it has kind of the vibe of the uh classic alt film clerks uh, but it's set in a fake place called Australia. That's actually the best way to describe it. Yeah, because it's intelligible, yeah. Gabe. Got him. Like... <laughs> hey, listen. If, 
word cells blown out. Well, yes, it's a reference because he, he always, there's like three stories where it ends with him listening to either a fucking, what is it, either a Kiss a CD yeah, or uh, a Smith CD. You mean Cure? I never thought cure. about that. You're yeah. right. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Cure, sorry. Uh, no, for real, though, uh, it did. Uh, reading reading a couple of these stories did make me uh, go listen to some Morrissey again. And uh, still still holds up. Solid bangers. Yeah, I die to that. Uh, <laughs> uh yeah, in my my summary, I think it'd be similar. I, I think I described when I when I wrote a quick review of it was, um, yeah, it kind of had the, the writing style is is character focused. It's not scenery focused. It's short stories, so they they vary in terms of who they're covering, and so there's a little bit of a lack of connectivity there. But overall, I'd say if you're interested in the topic and you uh, don't mind a writing style that's more, um, I think I called it Mogamask, but you know, a certain that kind of quick, clippy writing style, people oriented, um, that I, I actually flows really well. It makes, it makes for a good page turner, but, um, I did have an issue with this in terms of the, uh, the sort of the superstructure. So yeah, obviously about now, if you don't want to be spoiled. It's a breezy read. I think breezy is both the term we're looking for. It's yeah, very breezy. You could definitely read this this in a single day. Yeah. 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 Like I said, yeah, one or two sittings comfortably. Or this is, this is actually probably the perfect airplane book. God, yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. This this would be a great read. Uh, you probably, yeah, read it, read it between the two trips. Yeah, that's what I did. Okay, my maiden, the real reason I, I brought us all together to discuss this is to make my proposal to rewrite this book. Um, in, a, in a different way. So here's, <clears throat> allow me to uh, put out the diagram. So across all the short stories, there's kind of like three categories the way I see it. There's the clerk's roadhouse worker sequence. And before we start recording, Cap, you had mentioned that there's even a reference between two of these to the same character. Right, yeah, Jimmy Healy is uh exists in a couple of the stories he's a grizzled old yeah the, yeah, the titular a, a grizzled old fellow who's lived his whole life in the bush and doesn't have a whole lot to show for it but is definitely not upset with his lot in life mm-hmm. and is very happy to have lived uh this sort of rest about life and so the 19 stories eight or nine or so are sort of the same male about the same-ish age, like a Gen Xer or so. And he, like, and some of me knows Jim Healy and some of me doesn't, but he always reads, he likes sci-fi novels and he works in a roadhouse or is like between roadhouse jobs. That's about a third of the stories or, or a little more. And another third or so of the stories is a police or outlaw vibe. There's like a manhunt. And it's you're either following, the, I think you follow the cops in two of them or you follow the guy being hunted in two or three of them. And it, so that's sort of another sequence. And then there's like a sort of a smorgasbord of, of, I call it the towny chapters typically. There's the exile, uh, the, the woman who sort of just ended up in a, in a nowhere town and her family's left her. Um, there's a couple like just random guys driving places. Um, anyway, so my, my, my thesis is sort of the missing, the missing link with this book is I think he should have made this into a novel that followed the roadhouse worker and maybe had like a secondary, a B plot following the outlaw or something like that. Cause that was my main complaint reading through. I really enjoyed almost every story. There were I think two that I highlighted that I, I think fell flat. 
but yeah, my, my, my main thing I keyed in was, well, you know, why didn't you just make it a novel that followed? Because obviously there's the same guy or inspired by the same guy. He's sort of a Wollstone stand-in for at least a third, if not more, for of the, sure. of the yeah. novel. But I, 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 see, I see what you're saying. Um, and yeah, you can't actually draw a... Uh, the protagonist in most of these stories is, you know, he has different names but he's always kind of the same guy, right? Which is kind of appears to be pretty heavily based on the author. You know, there are various outcomes that would not, not, not work together. Right. So it's very clearly different. Um, but I agree that the, the parts are there that it could have been, um, sort of a, uh, turned into a, a novel over many years. Right. That, that covers a many year time for, frame yeah Yeah, i fully concur i i I generally do think he should have kind of focused on one or the other because the themes kind of are scattered as the roadhouses across the plains in a sense like because you can tell like he has a lot of passion a lot of passion in like the roadhouse stories you can tell there's a very deep connection there but the the pseudo crime parts just do not have the fangs on them to really be entertaining as like pulp stories and either make it a full-blown novel and try to connect the two together in a harmonious kind of um, collision or just keep the clerk-esque kind of slacker going out into the bush, exit over society, go for a Jack Kerouac kind of thing and save the, you know, the crime one for a separate novel instead of trying to have your kick and eat two kind of yeah, thing. I think you could have had them both, but just, <clears throat> I think there's a more interstitial connection between them in a few spots and, and the order would change, of course. So, yeah, in my fan fiction version of this, which I, is in progress, Driftwood is actually the um, the sort of crescendo, sort of the the two thirds. What what do they call it in, in Save the Cat? That you know that whatever those terms are, like Driftwood. That's the one where he you know he meets the girl and they like Helen. Yeah, Helen. They fall in love, get married. Like to me, that's a great climax. And then maybe he ends up turning into the old guy that gets the prostitute in um, Tracy's Lament. And that's sort of like a dark ending, or you could have a lighter ending. And Tracy's lament happens to someone else. A- anyway, all to say, I have all sorts of uh, you know. That's a good. Uh, I mean, head. I think I, I think Tracy's theories. lament is mostly the. I I don't necessarily think that like the, the lazy infidelity guy, um, in Tracy's lament. I think the whole point of I actually thought that the, him getting the prostitute was a little, uh, a little tonally strange, because. I, I think the main point of that short story, and yeah, it would have worked better if it was in a novel, right? But because it was in a short story, I think um, it distracted from the central theme of Tracy's Lament, which to me was sort of the survivor's guilt of getting your shit together, right? Because mm-hmm. he had all of these like fuck-up friends in a flop house who were incredibly close, like they were just unbelievably close to each other because they had absolutely nothing other than the other people who were in that situation with them. And he left to get this gig that was, you know, at a at a roadhouse or some other similarly uh, gig-ish job. And he ended up staying yeah. and just enjoying it. And he never went back. And everyone that he left ended up just continuing to descend uh, further, further into you know poverty and depravity, 
um, and eventually he he sees Tracy as a a vagrant, uh, completely blasted out of her mind on you know years of drug abuse, and the only thing that she can do is scream, "You left us! You left us! You never came back! You left us!" And I think that the you know the moral turpitude of the character in mentioning that he would you know be unfaithful <laughs> was yeah. it was just like tonally odd right and didn't really add to the central theme so yeah i'd agree with that what would y'all say is the central theme of this book i don't think that i mean it's slice of life to me it's i i see it as slice mm-hmm. of life oh those are the best parts obviously and and i would just say it's um sort of yeah feeling the, the of the down you know views of the downtrodden and and it just yeah i guess i guess trying to capture the roadhouse stuff in particular capturing that that outcast yeah the outcast view of society right the the drifter the vagrant yeah. the like the, it's you not, get a it's sense not a vagrant. of his he's like fantasy like, of australia he's never like a homeless addict in these things he's always a guy who's like a guy who has a shitty job like he in one story he is working at a liquor store in a nowhere fucking town just so that he can get the money together to fix a car to finish driving across the country so this dude is broke ass poor this dude has no money but he hasn't fallen completely by the wayside so he's just got this very marginal kind of of income and ability to support himself and that's sort of like the economic strata that everyone in these stories occupies right the car is a is a item of escape it's out of happiness all the happy endings or like the sweet endings are happen in cars you know driftwood ends with probably the um uh, it hits a little harder than the other stories or it hits more fresh right all the happiness involves cars and traveling it's like a it's like a happy version of Solzhenitsyn's Gulag Archipelago. You can call this the Australian Archipelago, basically, because the roadhouse is used to these tiny dots in this giant plain wasteland. And I looked up pictures of the Narabu, or wherever the uh, Narabar. Right? It's a beautiful. It's a good, nothing but a complete flat plain, and it ends in like a cut-off clip. You just see the water. When he when he describes in the first story, just the absolute nothingness and how hard it is to like adjust yourself to it. You kind of get addicted to it. And the concept of addiction, right? You have it's a story based on exit, right? Australia. You want a sense of the Australian ethic or the Aust- from a Spanglerian standpoint? Had to be once, right? Had to be once. You had to mention standpoint. Spangler. <laughs> yes, I, I, I've been off my Spangler streak. I'm saying Australia is defined by exit. It's de- defined by a colonial sense of need and want. Economically, spiritually, the first two stories, right? Look at um, the beginning story of The Last Free Man, right? The whole point is that uh, the unnamed main protagonist meets this veteran, this uh, Vietnam veteran. And uh, the book and the uh, two book ending stories, this and Grandpa Bob, both involve veterans of two different wars and two different kinds of men, but the same kind of archetype of the Australian working class, dare I say, native, like British stock and Australian man, right? You look at this and you see it's all about extraction. The Jimmy, he felt most in his life during Vietnam. 
you know, he goes out to get the uh, the assault rifle, the um, AK-47. So they go to his grave. When I looked it up, sadly, the the guy uh, who's the grave's named after is a real person. But sadly, the particular grave, though concept of lonely graves, that's actually determined in Australia, by the way. Uh, these, you find these lonely graves scattered all over Australia, right? Just a single tomb and nothing else. It's it's quite kind of beautiful, actually. But um, you see that when he comes back, he has this like Bronze Age mindset kind of revelation. Where he says, you know, you come back and you, you expect to work in your suburbs and get a job and have some kitties and get henpecked, right? Get longhoused, right? And then he says, you know what? No, I refuse. He chooses exit. He chooses the bush. Same thing with um, most of Roadhouse's entire... It's a safety zone. It's it's Babylon. It's not Babylon. It's uh, Byzantium. It's a place of escape. You escape to the bush. Right, you get a new life. Helen, right? She turns um, into the woman he marries, right? Helen in the driftwood. She's a hoe, right? She's a bogey, right? Which is a Australian slang for kind of a ghetto. And she turns into a trad wife, covered in sheep shit, from what her, um, her female friend says. But she's happy, and she feels a native. The fifth generation on this land is her son, right? She says the fifth generation. This sense of roots, Right, you leave, you escape the decay of like um, the main city is Adelaide. It's the most popular city in Australia, you know. And Woolston, Woolston describes it as like a coffin, right, or as an open air graveyard. And see, and also the problem with Woolston's style is the way I'd say his style is he's basically you get a statue, right? You have this figure of romanticism, both in the negative Gothic sense and in the classical sense. Right, which is his experience as an Australian man. You see a statue, and what Wollstone does with his style is he kind of runs his fingers across the statue, but doesn't get any more deeper. He doesn't, for example, kiss the statue. You don't feel the coldness. You, know, you don't understand the coldness of a marble statue until you actually kiss it. And it's, it's a very beautiful You want to feel the kiss? Yes. No, when I was in Boston, actually, <laughs> I did that. It was overlooking a graveyard. It was, a, it was the, the Athenia Library in Boston, you made out with someone's grave monument? Like... What the fuck? <laughs> no, no, no. The basement of the library has a window, and the window overlooks the graveyard. Mm. And you see this beautiful Hellenic, like, young, 20th, peak, uh, peak Apollonian figure. His statue, his head, and he, looking over to the graveyard. And I was reading Dostoevsky in his beautiful, beautiful ancient library, and it just, it just overwhelmed me. And you want when you feel the marble on your lips. Okay, so so you a, were in the basement of the library, right. and you got yeah, Athena. and you got yeah. aroused by a statue. Dude, the game lore keeps getting deeper. And you went full Pygmalion. <laughs> <laughs> yes! You made out with the yes! statue. It was nice. <laughs> yes, he was my Galatia. All right, that's absolutely correct. It's my Pygmalion moment, right? It was just something so beautiful. And you see this death in this old ancient town that's decayed and this one figure of youth. It's just... And yeah, again, that's how he reviews his life in the bush, right? Him and Helen, right? What does Helen say in End of Driftwood? Yeah, we'll end up being in the suburbs. We're not going to set the world on fire. But we'll always remember, you know, our gay best friend in the backseat, the Smiths in the radio, and all our shit in the trunk. Right? That's what he says. That's how he reviews his life. But he doesn't kiss the statue. He just runs his fingers across it. Because when he describes the, the opening monologue of Jimmy's like speech about Vietnam and war and life, he doesn't go deep. That's the my biggest bugaloo is that the, it's not complex at all. Or talking about like how Adelaide in the city is dirty and like an open air coffin, right? A cramped coffin basically, but he doesn't use craft cramp. And he basically says it and then leaves it there. Or 
a lot of the dialogue, he will say something or how he's feeling or how a character is feeling or say a funny line. He's good with For dialogue. Sure. Uh, the, the dialogue gets a lot better by... Yeah, absolutely. And the themes get a lot stronger. Again, the bookending themes. He knew very well, you begin with Last Free Man, you end with Grandpa Bob. Families, I think uh, the family farm. A lot of it does have themes that hit, but he, his batting average, I would say, is probably a 5 or a 6. Sometimes he can hit a 7, 7.5, but with wild swings at best. That's what I'd say so far. I think, no, I, I think you... I do agree to the extent that... And I blame this on the superstructure again, that he hits the same notes again without getting deeper on them in terms of just like, you know, I got to escape from the... You know, the city's a trap. Got to escape from the city. Like, that's sort of reiterated in very slightly different wording, like in like six or seven stories as like the main punchline. And it's like, okay, I've heard that before. But again because you're meeting this character for the first time in a lot of these cases, even if it's a character that's 90% the same, you kind of, it's hard to leap ahead of that. Which is, what you say, I, I agree with you. Because you know, fun fact about Australia, it used to be green, right? There was part of Northeast had foliage. Wait, have you like read, that. have you written, has, um, has Lewis written a prequel that I haven't read? Oh yes, no, in the lore, sorry. And like, you know how Tolkien has like the unfinished yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Lewis, yeah, he wrote like a sort of Cimmerillion. So back in the pre-times, there, Austri- this world of Australia, its version of the Fremen from Dune, like their version of the Fremen, like they, I think they're called like Abos or Ebus or something like that. The Ebus, they did bush hunting, where you burnt a little piece of forest to get the animals to run away. It's called oh, flushing yeah, them yeah. out. Real hunters do this, but um. Yeah, but they actually ended up burning almost all of the forests down in Australia, <laughs> in the Northeast, like a couple thousand years ago. At least in the lore, anyway. So, this cursed land, right? I'll, I'll compare him to Walden and probably later on, but I want to kind of treat him as his own free man at first. Mm-hmm. Freestanding man. Wait, Australia, because you see this in the second story with the last horse, right? You learn so much about, like, oh, that's why I said a folk. It's a folkish history of Australia. It was one folk story of a man sorry oh uh, bless you <laughs> bless bless your <laughs> yeah, heart sorry that was a fo- no yeah. that was a folkish element yeah exactly it adds a folkish element to it so like the horses right you, if, like, they used to breed horses to be sent over to india right and the reason why he put jimmy there right the the veteran it's also i didn't uh, like the fact that jimmy didn't want to shoot the horse when his whole view on death in the first story was that he wanted to be taken out quickly. He didn't want to let himself die out. Because, you know, the second right. story is all about the horse. There's You see this water decay. He's drinking out of a puddle. And he thinks it's more moral to let the horse, like, what's the version of starving for water? Like, starve, water starve. You mean dehydrate? Rather than just shoot it and, like, peacefully take it out of misery? You, yes, you, dehydrate. <laughs> water like starve. <laughs> I mean, water-starved is is a, is a yeah, fine way to say starved. that something's dehydrating, but it would not be the the what might would not be. <laughs> yes. It would be because I didn't want to say dehydrate twice. Would be the only time I would say water-starved. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. So thank you, thank you. Dehydrate is poor, magnificent beast, because you see Australia is constantly in in like kind of attacking its past or haunted by its past. The fires of the past, right? To reference the this fictional race of people who burnt down the Northwest Australian plains. The men, the Australians come back, they use it for 
exploitation and colonial. It's a fundamentally a colonial place. It's very different from the way American views America, for example. I have Frederick Turner's uh, The Frontier, which is the thesis of the frontier. In in the American psyche, the frontier, our version of the outback is a place of opportunity. It's a place of home. We assume it as home. If you look at the population of Australia, they hug the coast. All the most populated places, Adelaide, Sydney, Melbourne... It's, they're well, it's all not like the coast, the coast of the United States right? isn't the, the most populous part either. True, but uh, but we, there's no sense of fear of the out, our version of the outback. Yeah, the no, forest. it's, it's, you know, it's what's the most it's not, lore? Yeah, it's it's not a fear. It's not a fearful yes. place. It's not it, the Black Forest of Germany. It's yeah. Yes, it's not a place of it is not a place of terror. It, right, and. You, know, you have some romantic figures, like uh, Ned Kelly, right, the bandit. But it's a life defined as individual. Australians are kind of the most individual people, more so than Americans, right? Because you see in these road, these, uh, if you go into the bush, you're sacrificing, it's a sense of exit over voice, right? You are seen by the society, and these cities are the eyes of the world, right? The ones that hug the coast. If you want to be so socialized... You have to hug the coast and be part of the global empire. If you want to truly be a free man, like the protagonist's uh, meeting with Jimmy in the beginning, or the horses, you have to go away from civilization. The bush. Right? It, that's. I'll bring up the Walden point here. I call it, it cheekily the wool and the wall distinction. Right? So you have the wool of Woolston and the wall of Walden. Because if you read, I have Walden's book here. There's a tale to this city. Right? With his like, gay friends. And it's all about Melbourne, right? Nothing about anything Australia life. You can write about this in any other city. It's generic as hell. It's about city life. Our unique city life experience trademark, right? Nothing uniquely Melbourneian at all about this. In contrast, this it's a walled city, right? And compared to the wool of Woolston. The wool of Woolston is a he is a sheep in the outback. You know, he's a sheep herder, he's eating his little red little dust, he's covered in shit, but he's free, and he's happy, and he's being hugged by space. Because he talks about, every time he talks about the emptiness of the outback, he always says, you know, when you grow up in the suburbs, he sees, like, all the tourists, their eyes bulge out at the sheer emptiness of the plains. And it, this is a beautiful point. Yet again, he touches beauty. It's, I, I don't say he doesn't touch beauty. He just touches with his fingers instead of going all in. Right, the vastness of the plains, and you're hugged by it, and there's a sense of liberating freedom, but there's a sense it will not be shared, and it's only f- experienced by the few. The bushmen, the people who live in the bush, out in the center of Australia, are the truly authentic Australians, right? Because they don't they don't want to be near the world. They're, for the Australian, the oceans represent the society and the world, right? It's only the bush. I'm still not sure they you know, call it's a curse. It's like bushmen. I feel like that's more of a South African thing. Well, listen, this is my f- okay. this is my fan fiction. All right, of this sure. fictional Fremen race, right? This Dune fan fiction, right? So, it's it's all about extraction, right? Because look at all when he talks about the roadhouse, right? You have people who want to begin again, right? His wife, right? You have people who are just kind of wanderers. You have the gay best friend Jimmy. Uh, Justin, I, no Justin, right? And he's good. With the, the, the dialogue gets a lot better by Driftwood. Justin's actually generally a funny yeah, gay character. Is. And so, mm-hmm, the, the, his dialogue really shines or starts getting better at that point. And so you see, it's all about. It's based on exit, exit from the world. 
and about addiction, right? The Australian economy, the very founding of Australia is, uh, again, obviously, LOL, James Cook, and, like, uh, the prisoners, right? It's a penal colony. I'd say it's more, it's a junkie colony. It's a junkie colony, right? The only, the best Australian economy is all about colonialism. It's extracting resources. Exploitative. There's a theme throughout yes. it of viewing society as sort of this crushing force. And even like even in the failure, you have this guy who was at the peak of success driving a fucking bus um, because he wasn't big enough for long enough. It's sort of this ever present ever present force hunting them down that you you can only flee into the bush to escape for a time. Yes, and I think that that was the great that's like the unique thing. It, he should have intertwined the criminal element and the roadmap element or the roadhouse element like clerks meets like no country and old men would have been perfect for this it's just my metaphor of touching the statue instead of kitchen statue holds on it's just he touches on these themes and he touches them pretty beautifully at times but not as much as i would yeah. like it. do you have any pictures of you kissing the statue for for posterity only in my brain <laughs> yeah. I, listen no i do not believe in this hyper reality bullshit all right i i went there to experience it i don't want to see myself experiencing it i want my memory of the nerve ending in my brain to feel so it so anyway if we get three patreon subscribers we're gonna put some photos of gabe kissing a statue up up there just for the subs just one dollar for one dollar a month if three people give us one dollar a month you're going to get some hot Gabe on marble action. Reject modernity. <laughs> Once we hit $100... Fuck tradition. <laughs> Listen, for every $100 we get in Patreon, <laughs> I'll kiss a tombstone. All right? Very Edgar Allan You're going to, like, tongue right? it, though, right? Like, you're going to really, like... Yeah, you're going to... Yeah. No, of the viewers choosing... Really romance the stone. I'll, I'll kiss your grandpa statue. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, you gotta get the earth too, the soil, the topsoil. Absolutely, for full gothic appreciation. The soil's a top. <laughs> Pound that bottom. Well, well it's the top of the body. In this room, only mini mag guys would. And get te- this. No, no, technically, I'm actually cucking the dead body, right? Because the dead body has to look up as I basically kiss the earth that's on top of him. So really, I'm cucking the dead. Uh, I, be- I think that's a Cannibal Corpse song. I want to cuck. I would I actually cuck. listen to Cannibal Corpse. The dead? <laughs> Fucking bass. Uh, what else did I have? I did want to do... Uh, what should we name this segment? Stinkers and Dinkers. Statues and Machus. Like, <laughs> top, top, top story, bottom story. Things that work for you guys. I don't know if you want to... Uh, you know... Oh, oh yeah, top and bottom, like oh, the, no. the, like the interior and the bottom. exterior. Yeah, those are. Um, the, there's definitely that's definitely the definition yeah. that people would go for. Um, <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, for me, I really thought that the uh, I, I really like the opening sort of duet that featured uh, Jimmy Healy, the you know elderly grizzled. Uh, Australian, and uh, I, I really like the themes there of the lonely grave and the last and the last Brumby. Um, possibly because in you know my real country, Mustangs uh, do have 
a lot of evocative themes about them, you know, as another wild breed of horse. Um, mm. So that was very directly intelligible to me. Uh, and I really liked Tracy's Lament, the one about the, uh, you know, survivor's guilt of leaving your, your fuck-up friends. Um, I thought that I thought that those were were very strong, um, and I think that if um, I think if Lewis can focus on hitting those kinds of notes in his future and hopefully longer form writing, that like that is that is stuff that could be extremely successful, really meaningful, um, and it's certainly something that I would love to read. Yeah, he got to learn. He got he has to learn structure. Because uh, the the last free man is mostly entirely structureless it, you know, from an actual sense, and like go deeper. Here, here I'll read a quote I actually underlined. If this is from the protagonist, this is I think from Driftwood. I've known plenty of people who were poverty-stricken nobodies in the city, who came out bush, made a life for themselves, and pretended they were locals. Like all those years being on the bottom of the shit pile in the city never happened. Truth be told, I've done it myself. I don't see what's so bad about it either. If you have the brains and balls to get out from under and make a better life to yourself, I say you've earned the right to forget the years of misery that preceded it. Mm-hmm. And that's basically kind of like the blurb to kind of justify the whole theme of the book itself, really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the mission statement, right? Yeah, but it doesn't go any further with that. That's the that's the problem. Like, like uh, especially with the, the speech in the first uh, page, there's kind of like a reading dissonance. For him, it's very meaningful. But for the reader... You're left wanting. Setup is good, right? He sets up the, uh, you know, the sea of nothing. It's the sea of the plains. You're supposed to have a deep speech a meeting with this old elderly man, the free man versus the semi-free man, right? And this beautiful speech about life and war and individuality and dying and living, the sense of poetic. You know, he's a tough, rugged bastard, but he still has a a slight yearning for the poetic, right? The the crows looking at his grave, or um, also with the horse. You know the the former free horses, right? He used to run free in the Australian plains, filled with water. You know, now the water is decayed, much like the plains and the horse tribes itself. I was just going to say, he, like, I thought he missed an opportunity. I know it's not his writing style, but, I mean, Corncob McGillicuddy made an entire career talking about sunsets. Like, I feel like he could have squeezed in some more of that romantic language, or just a touch of it. Because if you've, I've never been to Australia, but I've been to a similar place in the American West. And it is just, it's like a very alienating, stunning landscape. And it does affect you mentally. And I just feel like um, some things that some of that could have been played into the, the theming you're talking about, you know, and digging deeper into Gabe, but not necessarily going all in on, you know, a different writing style. I think, I think it could have helped. Oh, no, he can keep the recording style. Like, uh, he can definitely keep the dialogue heavy. I'm not asking for proofs. I'm asking for prose. He's not good at prose. He's good at dialogue. He's good at character. He's good at touching. I would say his prose is is solid, but it's it's simple. Like, he does not not do a lot of, like, really exaggerated flourishes. It's very, um, it's it's workmanlike to an extent. A good example of it is actually this when he describes Adelaide. Um... After the wide open spaces of the Nullabor, the city felt cramped and dirty. I caught up with some people I'd known, and they were doing the exact same thing they had been doing when I left Adelaide years ago. I realized then that this isn't so much a city as an above-ground cemetery. Mm-hmm. Right? And see, he touches on a very good idea. 
right? For him, the city, the socialized life is a coffin, right? He's, you're only alive out there in the bush or out there in the roadhouse or, or in the road. Even the road itself is a romantic object in this. But the city it, is it containment. You feel contained. He feels contained. And he touches on the subject, but you can tell he's feeling it, but you don't feel how constrained the city is, how dirty the city is, how it feels trapped. You can tell the protagonist trapped, but you yourself as the reader do not share this experience with him. Yeah, it's explanatory rather than experiential writing, um, which is, it aids it in being very efficient and fast, but it's not, it doesn't get, leave you the vivid experience for a lot of that, those things you described. And it kind of plays into my top picks. Um, I agree with everything you guys said. I, I think I liked all the ones you guys said. I'll mention my, my two I didn't like, but um, in addition, I would add uh, yeah, Driftwood for the reasons mentioned, just uh, yeah, great dialogue. It had kind of an uplift, like it was a change in tone, like generally a positive, which was a kind of a nice uh, kick. And the ending was so sincere. It would have been corny by any author, but he means it so much oh, with that yeah. ending. No, yeah, the, it's fantastic. That's why I was like, this should be like, you know, later in the book probably. But uh, and then the other one that hit me, I think, because of the things you, were, you guys were just talking about, is the exile, which is the one about the elderly woman whose daughter's leaving, her husband's dead. Because I think that one actually digs a little bit deeper into the themes of, you know, this woman that kind of like quote unquote made it out had a family, made the connections, and then all of a sudden, through the the sands of time, the pressures of the passage of time, she's kind of ending up abandoned and alone yet again, and she's sort of asking herself, what was it all worth? Like To, to me, that uh, that one actually stuck with me, even though it was a, a, a one-off character, I felt like it, died, it touched deeper on the, the subject that all the other stories were talking about. A lot of them... Like we mentioned, I mentioned before, just kind of hit the same, you know, a couple of lines about need to escape and, and things like that. <clears throat> then my two my two stinker awards, the, the two I didn't like, uh, Bottle Brush Tree and Rain on the Highway. Bottle Brush Tree is the one about, um, it's like a three-pager about an old guy in hospice care who like sits by a tree. And it's like, okay, whatever. <laughs> Very wistful, yeah. Yeah, and then right on the highway, uh, I wrote that down. I actually can't remember what it was about. No, I think is that the one about the guy who pees? No, that's the farm one. What is right on the highway even about? <laughs> Just, I, I don't know. Oh, but it's I a guy who it. sees the chick, and she's like uh, in the bar. No, that's, the like, problem. Yeah, nah, that's the problem. Yeah, nah. And um, he's like, oh, I need to get out of the yeah, bush. Nah. And that one nah. kind of epitomizes the 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 problem of like repeating the same. Like thing, like okay, I get it. You want to escape? You want to get out to bush? Yeah, nah, yeah, nah. So those are my two stickers. But that's a strong theme. What he needs is an editor, right? If you take like redrafted versions of the first two stories, Driftwood, The Exile, Family Farm, Grandpa Bob, maybe two more stories, a short story collection of six or seven short stories, patch up the the ones I mentioned. You can have a very very strong story collection of decay and being used and just being left a husk like a junkie right like the horses that are bred or like the land of australia itself you know both of exile and wanting to leave and escape but also being left leaving and being left mm -hmm. as well if he kept those stories shorted down there's way too many stories there's too much fat between the juicy bits where he's really good at 
I, this you could easily shorten this down to six or seven stories, and it would be hit a lot easier and a lot better. I, th- I think I don't think you even have to cut as much. I think it's just reordering, and I think maybe like making really superficial changes to like to make a consistent name, consistent character, and um, yeah, and maybe like and cut out like maybe like three or four of the fat, and then reinsert like some of the throwaway one-off characters. You could merge them. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. If I could get my hands on as an editor, you do my fan fiction, or someone else could work with with more experience, I think he could do a novel. And also, I think he might find more people to read it. Because more people, let's face it, weirdos read short story collections. We're all weirdos here. Um, normal people read novels. <laughs> so, Listen, I'm a, I am a quirky king, all right? Art hoes love me. Yes. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. Well... The quirkiness, the, the statue love. <laughs> so you would, if you saw that statue and you just finished reading this biography of Dostoevsky, this beautiful ancient library, right? This husk of something so beautiful. You see the graveyard, it's sunset, your phone's about to die. You're in a foreign city, a foreign land, Boston, right? It just, it was so perfect. It was so beautiful, right? <laughs> but, but also to your point, you were like, swept um, up in the more connective in tissue. The moment. You sexually assaulted that statue. Yes, I watched with him more. <laughs> no, he wanted it. All right, he's Greek. All oh, right, he wants it. All right. Gay Absolutely. pig male. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, because it was a it's beautiful youth male. It's like you know Nietzsche says about Plato. You know, if there was no beautiful, there was no beautiful boys in Athens. Plato had never written a single line, right? And there was this beautiful rejuvenation, right? So you're in a land of decay. Boston is a land of decay. The Northeast is a land of decay. You're in a library, a, an ancient like tomb to literature and the the culture of the West, in a graveyard, in a basement. And you see this beautiful young Faustian figure, the Western man, capital W, Western man. The peak vitality, peak youth, pure, pale marble, looking out to the sunset. It was just, it was the perfect moment for that. So, basic, but back so basically, to the actual matter, if you're in Boston, and Gabe's in the library, don't let your son go to the basement. It's what you're saying. No, no. Yeah, listen. I bet Plato quote. No, you're... <laughs> quote. No, he's like my age. Listen, your if your son, your son's probably like filled with estrogen and like seed oils. You're, you're, you're. It's not worthy of romantic mm. connection. It's not a, a youth. It's not an Athenian youth, a man of twenty, looking bold as sunrise, the wine dark sunset. You know. But to the sunset of Australian society, to connect it whoa, back, whoa, whoa. Right? you keep you, you keep digging this hole deeper and then pretending like the ladder's getting <laughs> taller. So, <laughs> yes. Listen, I'm, I'm adding I'm adding boners to the lines of the ladder. Okay. All right, yes. on, on. It's a you see, it's a cemetery. Bone, bones, my dick, the marble statue. It was, it was an insectual. If, if you, you like the concept yes, of yes, a boner exactly. ladder. You are going to love uh, the book that we are covering after this next one. <laughs> the, the Last Free Man. Oh, wait, oh no. Wait, no. What, what we're doing this one? Millennium next, I think? Like, I, I, I didn't finish my Spangler seminar. I had like two parts. The first part of the Spangler thing and the second part, like Australian Civilization. And it's sincere. Like when I compare them to Walden, I didn't do it for the memes. I did it as a genuine distinction between the cosmopolitan and the real. And he does really good with that. That's his strongest thing, actually. This when he hits the sentimental of freedom, dirty, like sheep freedom, but true freedom nevertheless. You're not stuck in the coffin. 
<laughs> yes, no, for, he means it like sincerely. He talks about, you know, sheep shit of the roadhouse, right? But he loves the sheep shit, right? He talks about disparagingly, but it's, it's better than the cosmopolitan coffin of Adelaide or Sydney or um, or any other southeast or, yeah, southeast of Australia. And I really like those parts. The south, the last, it, it opens and ends with sincere Australians. The, the last free Australians, the last man of Australians. And it's bookended by fuck-ups and trying to live the life of the cosmopolitan only to reluctantly go to the, a sincerely Australian man. Well, you're not born into it. Yet again, it's the, it's the difference between people who are born Australian and people who convert to the lifestyle. Like his wife, right? Or like the friend of his wife. You know, she's a bogey whore and she becomes a trad wife in the bush. You know what I mean? And, but you're accepted because that's the whole point of the bush is it's a land of exit. But uh, no, I, I was going to compare it to Russia too because it, it reminded me, I when I said the Australian archipelago, I was going to reference the... Uh, uh, it's a positive version. Instead of like camp guards stepping on your balls, you knock up a girl and you end up in like the sheep station, right? It's a positive version. The Russian has St. Petersburg. The Russian has like Moscow. But the, all of major Russians live, they hug Europe. Siberia and like the Eastern Russia is purely colonial. It's half sincere civilization, half colonial exploitation. Australia, it's a rim of civilization, but... Because Australia was actually founded 12 years after America, 1776, 1780, right? It's a young civilization. And, you know, Britain was already in decay. It was the, they were the last summer of the empire. So they no longer have the Faustian spirit of the Anglo-Saxon, right? But the sincere Australian, unlike the American, we found our... Uh, the Americans found their home in the frontier. The, the settlement is considered a very cheery go lucky happy thing while the frontier of australia is very brutal it's a it's a purely darwinian process right the selection pressure of living as a sheep yet again the wool distinction you you must be a hard as nails fucking billy goat to live in the bush but if you are strong enough you can basically handle anything and you live a good life and fundamentally when you go back to civilization it's the connections are vast but as deep as a puddle as a puddle, as the last horse drinks, but you appreciate everything, all the connections more in the bush. It's a selection process. It's an evolutionary thing. This haunted, this damned, like this cursed maiden, right? Who lost her hymen long ago, right? Is fundamentally a cursed land that's constantly exploited and in process of decay and renewal and being used. But if you hold on to it, if you accept the curse and you live with the curse, you will live in a deeply, deeply profound experience by living with this curse and be enriched by it. That's basically the overall theme of Australian fiction and the Australian ethos, the telos of Australian civilization itself. And the thing is, you can never have an inland civilization. There's no community in the bush. It's a tight... You can never... It's inherently tribal, be it Aboriginal or the white man. You know what I mean? It will still be a, it'll be a, a cluster of archipelagos of, of tribes, never a true civilization. It's a patchwork of knits of individuals. Because, you know, this is... Also, when I one positive thing I'd like to say, you you said this in response to me, is that he tells you the experience, he's reciting the experience, but you don't experience it with him. That's kind of the entire point of the book. Like, Grandpa Bob, you know, he, the beginning of that story, he talks about, like, a, you know, Grandpa Bob will never have a biography. He didn't like the war on fire. But this, this pages on this book will be the closest thing you ever have to a biography. 
You know what I mean? He's kind of the speaker of the dead or speaker of these pockets of individuals of Australia who would not give a damn. The coast fears them. This Right? But it's true in, in thematic sense, right? He, it, the whole point of speaker of the dead, if I remember correctly, you talk about the good, the bad, and try to be sincere as humanly possible. For him, he's the speaker of the Australian dead. The junkie and the colonialist are, are fundamentally the same thing. You excess as much as you can and you break down and you have to live with the shell of that excess. You know what I mean? The horse, the, the, the herd of the horses come back down to the dehydrated camel drinking out of a puddle. You know, and he could have done a lot more of that angle, but he touches it just enough to make you feel it, in my sense. Uh, if we give number scores, I'd say and he does hit the seven mark. He, it's all like I use the real number, like the, the whole nine being or eight being average is retarded, right? Seven is good. Seven is really good. Um, did you have any other thoughts, Dave? Um, no, I think that's pretty much it. Yeah, I gave my top three, my two, the two I didn't. And yeah, really the, the main thing I wanted to pull you guys in on was my conspiracy to talk him into writing his future books as a novel because I, and well, actually maybe I should turn to you uh, what you've so you've read the set the sequel um, without going to into or not the sequel his you've read his next his next book I know it's another short story I collection did. right so does it have a it similar is. vibe um it is not as set in the bush mm-hmm. it is it it expands on it's a drug culture you know what these, one, right? what small towns are like and what it's like to be a junkie in this mystical magical land of australia mm-hmm. yeah so it's uh it really is kind of an expansion on the the first half of tracy of the tracy's lament story kind of setting is it a tighter time span and tighter set of characters uh, it, again, it is it is similar in the sense that there are um, recurring themes of you know, especially the protagonist being very much a stand-in for uh, apparently for uh, Lewis himself, um, and there are some stories that reference people more than once, uh, but it's it's structured very similarly. Um, I'd say that there's fewer retreads mm-hmm. um, than there are in in Last Free Man. Uh, each of the stories kind of does its own thing. Okay. Yeah, I'm interested. I think I will read it eventually. Um, I'm not rushing. I, I would I would say I think I think that his other collection, Remembering the Dead, is better than the Last Free Man. Mm-hmm. I think I think it is a more mature and. Um, overall better but i think that there that some of the standouts that are in this one are really really very good Mm -hmm. i do want to be careful they won't cross as overly negative because it's easy just to jump in with you know this one stunk this you know i wanted more theming more or not enough theming blah blah but i would say in terms of percentage wise like the number of stories that i thought were like really strong or were just pretty good I say the vast majority. I say were very good, and then there was yeah, there was probably yeah the first two. I say like a third of them. I would say I say were like excellent, and then the rest were really good, and then and then there was like three or four okay ones, and then two or three that were just very blah. 
Um, so in terms of another thing with it being short stories, you don't have that momentum to keep you going in between. So sometimes you have a slow chapter in a book, you don't, it doesn't give it a black eye the way it unfairly can with a short story collection because, you know, you're thinking about, you know, I can't wait to get, to get back to the, you know, the main action. I can't wait to get to this scene. We're in a short story. Each story has to stand up on its own, which can make it a little bit more, um, I think they get graded harsher. Yeah, I, I think that's, I think that is true. Um, but, you know, that said, also, a short story collection is, you know, theoretically a little easier to write than a novel mm-hmm. that's consistent. So yeah, maybe this maybe this is I think something we disagree on, Gabe. Because I was saying I thought a third of these stories were very good to excellent. <clears throat> a third were like pretty good to goodish, and then there was sort of a third. The, the final third was you know a couple mas and then two or three just stinkers. Does that is that comparable to your overall view of it? I'd say there's three or four that are great. That are generally good quality, or I got well, not quality. There's four that are great, a handful that are majority that are solid, and then just a few that did nothing to me. I think well, overall I'd agree. I'd say forty percent. I'm not good at math, so like forty percent. No, sorry, more like thirty-three percent is good. Twenty-three is meh, and then like. 44 is oh no sorry 23 is solid the other one is good and then 43 is meh okay so like a fourth a fourth and like the other kind of like fifth half is kind of a eh. yeah overall i think the same measurements you did i'd say i'd solidly agree with you the best parts are obviously the roadhouses the archipelago roadhouse experiences the stuff to do with attachment and decay not you know not plot based none of the plots really do well it's very sentimental um like i said it's very much like a song that's why i used the cd metaphor earlier you know it's this guy is playing a my chemical romance album in front of you in a party slightly drunk and tipsy and if you relate to that kind of thing it works really well i relate to it that's why overall i respond very good i responded very well that kind of ending of him playing the... Yeah, again, that was the strongest emotional... Th- I think I agree with you. I, I, When you said that Driftwood should be the end, I kind of disagreed with you at first. But then when you kind of see... You start with the last free man, the old, the rugged, the decayed, and the corrupted youth, right, who tried to experience some sense of purity. You know, them driving into the bush as the suburbs thin away, you know, playing Smiths. I actually do kind of think that would have been a, a better ending than... Grandpa Baba is a solid one, but I kind of agree. Yeah, it would have been bittersweet. So overall, I think we both generally agree on what the best parts of this novel is. The sentimental, the sincerely sentimental. I don't mean sentimental as a criticism. The best parts of this novel are sentimental. Um, It's just that, um, yet again, thin out. Just like, you know, the suburbs thinning out to the bush, he needs to thin out Mm. to the good stuff, right? sentimental dialogue character more details of characters because the protagonist kind of reminds me of a wojack I, on one of my notes i put wojack just wojack the basic wojack none of the flavored mm-hmm. wojacks there's the, the og wojack the everyday man you know what i mean this sense of relatability to the it's mimetic he's a meme he's a template so um, i would want more meat on the bones of all the characters more in-depth dialogue conversations more characterizations Rather than finger painting a beautiful like airsoft painting, I kind of want a little bit more detail. 
you know, I'm a pro's fag, right? But detail, especially, I think, is uh, something he can definitely do. It's in his capacity, right? He's not uh, a structuralist, but he can definitely be a much more detailed author in his own mm -hmm. strong suits. Yeah, I agree. Same. Captain, I don't, did you have any final thoughts that you didn't have a chance to, to share? I feel like you and I covered that. <laughs> Before while while oh. Gabe was while Gabe was off prowling the graveyard, know, prowling the graveyard <laughs> for the hottest monuments. <laughs> Listen, I was cracking my rat to the memories. All right, God bless him. Just, oh God. All right. Oh. Y'all yeah. kept on poking in my past, just like the protagonist in this novel. All the right. real deep lore is the lost, for anyone that listens this, this long, the lost episode, the second half of Mixtape Hyperborea, where Gabe talks about stinky ears on women for like 10 minutes. We lost that. Oh, we lost that? Stinky. Well, I have it. It's just so, oh, it's unlistenable. It? Maybe I'll salvage it and, and find a way. I mean, way. it was unlistenable when I heard it the first time. <laughs> So, <laughs> I don't know how the recording is. Cheeto, your bitch. But... Is, is, is that strange? Y'all never fucked a stinky bitch before? She wasn't even particularly stinky. It's just when you read Habixte Hyperborea, she smells like, what, peaches? Like, I never fucked a peach smelling bitch. I'm sorry. Damn, dude, you're missing out. Get that Bro. cherry cherry gloss <laughs> lips. Ooh, baby. Um... Bro, buy your, buy your woman some. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Fucking Irish Spring. Whatever the fuck, whatever the fuck it Get takes. Some old spice in there. Anything. Irish Spring. <laughs> Yeah, you do Jesus. need the hard stuff. <laughs> Fucking get, get some Lysol, fuck. Yes, old spice. I don't know how I don't know stuff. how nasty you need to be for your ears to stink. That's un listen, that's unforgivable. Listen, <laughs> fuck me. Not even not even I, any I, of these not even any of these uh, like Australian truck stop hose that that Lewis lists have stinky ears. Dude, can you imagine the lot lizards and a fucking roadhouse? It's gotta be brutal. I mean, the, dear God, just dry, dry heat. The skin's gotta be like leather. Imagine the smell. <laughs> mm. I shan't. <laughs> Sheep smelling bitches. See, but that's this. That's a sincere erotic instead of this. Mass cosmopolitan, sweet-smelling illusion of shampoo. You get the authentic dry dirt bush <laughs> pussy, right out in the bush. You get the s sweat. You get mm -hmm. the pits. You get it's the distinction between the Wall of Walden, the Melbourne, right, the cosmopolitan city. That's not Australia. It's a colony. The cities are still colonies of Australia. The authentic Australia is in the mm -hmm. bush, right? You gotta go deep into the bush. You gotta smell the pits. Literally and figuratively, you, you gotta <laughs> exactly. go deep into the bush. To exactly. see the real Australia. He's a, he's a bush chat, it's a absolutely. He's got great taste. Stanky, it, it, so you're saying the real Australia is a really stanky hoe. Yes, but listen, she work, she, she's a work hose. Alright, all right, well that's the tagline. That's going on the in the liner notes for this, this show. The real Australia yes. is an incredibly fragrant prostitute. Yes, but a real workhouse of a woman. He's a workhorse man. To the last Maduro Brumby. Yeah, he's an old horse <laughs> of a bitch. <laughs> a real steady stack of a horse. I'm sick of myself.